Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Carmen DeVito. And I'm Alice Marcus-Krieg. And we are the ladies of Groundworks, Inc. We design and build gardens in New York City and the surrounding area. And our show aims to bring the culture to horticulture. And what is more cultured than a southern lady, Alice? <laughs> mm Yes, ma'am. <laughs> well, we have a, a wonderful southern lady with us today as a guest, Rebecca Bull-Reed who is the Associate Garden Editor for Southern Living Magazine. I'm smacking my lips right now just <laughs> thinking about what's in the, in the October Bourbon. issue. <laughs> mm. So, Rebecca, a little bit about Rebecca. She is a sought-after speaker and educator and an award-winning garden designer who now travels the South producing, styling, and writing garden stories for Southern Living Magazine. Born in South Carolina, she has gardened professionally in the South and the Pacific Northwest near Seattle. When Rebecca is not peering over garden walls in search of a great story, she can be found in her own garden pushing plant labels to their limits. She holds a BS and MS in horticulture from Clemson University and serves on the Society Board for the North Carolina Arboretum and on the board for the Garden Club of South Carolina. Rebecca, welcome to the show. Why, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So a little backstory is in order. Um... Once a year, the Garden Writers Association honors excellence in writing with special awards in different categories. And um, Alice and I thought that we would feature some of the winners on the show this season, starting with today's show. Uh, Rebecca Bull Reed's story, Lush Life, won an award this year in the magazine article category. Right? Yes. Yes. So what I found really interesting, Rebecca... Um, about you is that you actually have a degree in horticulture. I, I'm not sure a lot of magazine garden editors do, yeah. right? Uh, tell us how you transitioned from garden designer to garden writer. You know, I, I actually think I was a very lucky person. Um, when I finished my master's in horticulture, I went out into the workforce and actually was a, a chemical sales rep and did ag chemical sales. And I absolutely hated it. So my parents thought <laughs> they thought I was nuts. I quit the job um, and I went to work for free in a garden center. And I said, I'll make you a deal. If you will let me design your garden landscapes, I'll work on commission. And um, they said, oh, that's great. Well, I was really happy. I loved it. Eventually, this garden center went out of business, but I had built up a little clientele. Right. So 
I kept kind of plunking away doing my own thing. And then um, one day, Southern Living called, and um, they're like, hey, we, we would like to know if you'd like to come interview with us. And I was like, how can this be? You know, wow. Have they published or anything? Well, what they were wanting to do, and this was back in 1993, uh, they were wanting to start something that I think was very forward-thinking at that time. It was an really an online uh, computer design service. Uh, many people are familiar. Southern Living has offered house plans for many years. Yes. And they thought, well, wouldn't it be great if we could offer landscape designs to go with those house plans, or better yet, for someone who really just doesn't even know where to start. So they called Clemson University, my alma mater, and they said, do you have a recent grad that may be interested in kind of starting this service for us and running it. Wow. And they gave him my name, and um, kind of the rest is history. So I did that for them for five years. I learned so much, um, had a ton of fun, but it was a lot of hard work. And, um, you know, basically I was sitting in a chair doing design, a design a day. Oh, my gosh. So, <laughs> That's a lot. Like being in a moon pie eating contest. You know, it, it tastes good to start with, and then it just becomes overbearing. Right. But <laughs> so how, how my were you... husband and I had a chance to move to Seattle, Washington, mm-hmm. uh, and we did that. What an incredibly fun place to garden. It's like being a kid in a candy store. Yeah. And so every few years I'd get a call from Southern Living. Hey, we have a, a garden editor position open. Do you want to come back? And I was like, well, no, not yet. Not yet. And the third time they called, I took them up on it. And um, that was in 2004. So I've been uh, writing since 2004. Okay. So can, let me ask a few questions about the, the design, your, your early years with Southern Living. So you were, how were you doing a design a day? Were they getting, were there that many house plans? Well, basically what would happen is um, someone would see our service advertised in the magazine, and I had formulated a questionnaire, very similar to what I used when I had my own design business, mm-hmm. that would ask very specific questions, and I'd lead them through doing a site analysis, much like you would do for your business. Right. But I had to be really crafty and think, you know, how can I make this no fail. And yes. um, I would look at the questionnaire, and then based on where they were in the country and, and how they they answered the uh, questionnaire and what they liked and disliked, um, I would do a design for them. And I probably knew plants much better then than I do now. Right, Because right. <laughs> I've tra- traded some of that knowledge for publishing knowledge now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um but you really get into a rhythm of doing it, and you can see a certain size house and you know, or a certain style house, and then you start learning things about areas of the country and pockets of um, soil types and mm. the climate, and you know what's going to work there for them. Right. So, and so did, it, would people... it wasn't the kind of fine-tuned design that I was able to do when I was hands-on, but it really gave them a great foundation to build from. Right. How fascinating and how fun. What a, what a wonderful position that must have been. It was. It really, really was. And 
Southern Living's territory goes from Delaware to Miami, all the way across through Texas, right. Oklahoma, and Missouri. So wow. it's a huge readership. And it was kind of like, you know, you never really knew when, where the next design was coming from. And sometimes I would be on the phone with a county extension agent going, so tell me about so-and-so. <laughs> what, do you, what do you really can tell me about this plan? Right, right. And so it was kind of a, a learning by fire, too. <laughs> and were you hand-drawing? Or was it? No, it was all computer. It, okay. All computer based. Um, like CAD design. or? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you would have then, drawings, um, you would have the house plans, and then the sort of the lay of the land, so to speak, like the, the landscape. The topography. The to- and then you would fill in there. Right. That's and so- to be perfectly honest, a lot of the type of homes that, that came across our um, desk wasn't the type of home that a landscape architect was going to get. It was really a spec-built neighborhood, a subdivision-type house, Mm -hmm. and it gave us um, a great opportunity to give those homes a little more personality. Exactly. And that was very, very fun. And to introduce people to some really neat plants they may not have used. Right, right, right. And then would folks send you pictures of the finished product? So would they then... Sh- yes. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It was like they were sharing baby pictures with me. <laughs> you know, about a year or two years after something had they'd gotten their plan back, we'd start getting these photos back. <laughs> and, um, you know, people would... It's kind of interesting because I would be in different areas of the country doing a seminar, and someone would come up and they'd say, oh, I... I read that in the paper you're going to be here doing a seminar so I had to come and show you photos from my garden <laughs> and it was really rewarding now does Southern Living still offer that service? they don't yeah. you know back back when magazines in 2007-2008 um, uh, people were really trying to pare down yeah. that was one yeah. of the services that unfortunately was cut Right. Uh, but it was a very very popular service yeah, and what was were you the only designer? Did they have to hire other people on? Um, well, I had an intern. I had mm-hmm. several folks that um, you know would intern with me, mm-hmm. and they were all just really neat, neat people and hard, hard workers. Yeah. And then when I moved to Seattle, um, a couple of new people took the service over, and they did a great job with it too. Cool, cool. Well, Rebecca, um, so that was so that's how you kind of got your foot in the door. Let's talk about the the art the award winning article that yeah, that, uh, that inspired us to get in touch with you, which was in what issue uh, was that in? That was May two thousand eleven. Okay, that's a really interesting story, and one of the things that Alice and I liked about it too was. That it's so, you know, we deal in very, usually small footprint, you know, Mm -hmm. and that story was about a garden that was about a thousand square feet, right? Well, the the house was less than a thousand square feet, but you're right. It's a very, very small in-town lot, Mm. and I'm looking at the photograph of it now, and it looks bigger than it it is. It looks huge. It looks huge because of the design. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh-huh. Exactly. And um, it's kind of an interesting story how we found this. We were in Oklahoma City shooting um, a story and um, working with John Fluitt Landscapes and then Marquette Clay, whose home this is, mm-hmm. actually is a landscape contractor for John Fluitt. Oh. And so 
we got our story shot, and then we also like the scout when we come into a town. And um, they'd been riding us around, showing us some work they'd done, and it was all very pretty, but nothing was clicking. Right. And, I, it, you know, I see a lot of really pretty gardens, but where's the hook? Mm-hmm. You know, where's the yeah. lesson that I can give someone? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we got to the end of the day, and Marquette said, um, I would, may I show you my house? And I was like, ooh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We pulled up, and I was like, get out. This is it. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm, I'm so in love with this. It's the sweetest, sweetest oh, little cottage. I'm looking at the pergola made out of, um, the, out of cedar logs, I think. Yes. Gorgeous. So here, here's gorgeous. what happens. There was a lone cedar tree in his backyard. And, um, you know, one of the things that we say in the story is when you have a tiny house, Really, your front yard becomes your foyer, and your backyard kind of becomes a living room for Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And um, so there's this lone cedar tree, and um, in Oklahoma, a lot of people will um, cut down cedar trees um, if they're in the wrong space or if you know, it's sure. a construction project, one reason or another. So their friend was an arborist. And they said, hey, listen, we, we really want to build a big arbor um, to kind of be our, our main outdoor living area. Mm-hmm. Let us know when you come up with X cedar posts. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, you know, we're, we're going to buy them off of you and build this arbor. Mm-hmm. Well, it is brilliantly done because it's rustic, yet it's kind of chic at the same time and hipster it's, you know yeah. right it's post and it's kind of post and beam construction it, it is and the texture is so wonderful mm-hmm. um, and look at the footings it's alice it's like iron right uh, it's like these, steel footings it's right? really nice like to yeah. hold them in place in the gravel the gravel's beautiful too rebecca it's just right and very affordable right um, yeah. also you know you're very concerned and especially with small properties um, about your permeable space mm-hmm. yes. and then or your permeable surfaces. Right. So this is really nice because water just percolates right down. Um, their, their fire pit was the end of a propane tank, like a big old like <laughs> propane tank that someone yeah. would put in the backyard. So they just had a great time kind of gathering all of these recycled or items that they could recycle and reuse. Um, and put in their backyard. And so paired with these really rustic beams for the arbor and this rusty kind of fire pit, there's this beautiful white traditional furniture also meshed with teak, and it works. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just really clean, and it works. Yeah. And I have to say, it's really exciting to see a landscape contractor's house in a, in a, lifestyle magazine i mean usually you have the clients houses like you were saying you know because they're usually larger more impressive um which kind of brings me to the next question which is um how how do you decide you know you mentioned the hook how do you decide what gardens make it into the magazine what what is yeah like a key thing that you're looking for that that is an incredible question because we do see a lot of wonderful gardens um, because it is southern living the first thing is it has to be southern there has to be something southern about it and mm-hmm. um, you know these the cedar post in this that's a very 
southern plant, um, right. tree. Um, but southerners love to entertain. So if there is a very useful outdoor space for entertaining, that's like, oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, or if they're iconic southern plants that make up the garden, that's great. Mm-hmm. So we're keeping our eye out for what is southern about this. That's kind of number one. Then seasonal. Southern living is very, very um, uh, specific about running stories in season. So you're never going to see an azalea story run in October just because it's a pretty story. You're going to see that azalea story run in March or April at mm-hmm. the latest. Well, that's refreshing. Um, <laughs> a lot of magazines, especially the the style ones that aren't really gardening magazines, they just right. You know, they yeah, put right. photos of unrealistic landscapes, <laughs> right? And then and then the client has the disservice of, hey, you know, I want this plant in my garden. Look how great it looks. Well, you're in California <laughs> and we're in New right, York, <laughs> right? Exactly. Um, and then you know, one of the other things is what's the service to the reader. And depending on the type of story that it is, um, service may be like in this story, we're sharing design tips for a small space. Um, Or sometimes service can be that this is a fantasy garden and I'm just escaping and, you know, I'm kind of getting some great ideas. Or perhaps the services that... um, the garden designer or the homeowner did something noble and it's bringing up their community. And that is also a thread that, you know, space got short and we didn't get to write about that in the story that we wanted to. But um, this garden does something that makes me so proud and gets me really excited. Um, And it was, uh, this little house was in a, and I say this, with a lot of, um, I want to be very careful how I say this, but in a marginal neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, uh, an um, up-and-coming neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, and, and it was bought as a rental property. Mm-hmm. And as Marquette started developing it and working on it, he really fell in love with the property. Mm-hmm. And something really wonderful started changing in his neighborhood. Mm-hmm. People started, like, you know, just putting a pot of, petunias out on their front stoop and then they started gardening and one house by one house going down the street people started well can i have a you know a sprig of this and share this and people in the neighborhood started gardening right and it really gave them a huge sense of pride right community through um, plants yeah yes exactly and and to me you know coming from my roots as a garden designer i think that's like the most rewarding thing is when you make gardening infectious um and people get excited about um trying something in their own yard Mm -hmm. well we have to take a little bit of a break we want to continue to with this thread um Stay with us, Rebecca. Stay tuned to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. We'll be right back.
grass-fed beef. Pasture raised on 150,000 acres in Central California. Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef, free-range, sustainably produced, humane. Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef, the authentic flavor of the American West. Hello, welcome back. You're listening to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. Um, we have Rebecca Bull Reed from Southern Living Magazine on the line with us, and we were just talking about her start um, as a writer in Southern Living, um, her previous background as a horticulture student and then uh, garden designer. So let's talk for a little bit about plants, because as northern gardeners, we have these romantic visions <laughs> of southern gardens and you know, magnolias and camellias and jasmines. And crepe so, myrtles. Crepe myrtles. So tell us a little bit how you think southern gardens have changed in the past few years, Rebecca, and what trends do you see for the future? Sure thing. Well, <clears throat> for starters, remember that the southern garden is very diverse. Yes. Um, so you have the, the oaks and the um, the sweeps of magnolias that most people think of for the southern garden. But regardless of where you are in the South, one of the biggest, hottest trends, which is very, very exciting to me, is edibles. And seeing, um, and, and you know, in the South, this is coming full circle. Right, yeah. yeah. We, we were all about agriculture <laughs> right. and food right. um, from the get-go. But now it's not about these long plowed rows with, you know, that are 200 yards of collards, <laughs> we, are, <laughs> we are gardening in raised beds, yeah. containers are huge, we're gardening in window boxes, mm-hmm. so even our gardens are getting smaller, but I have never, ever seen such wide wild enthusiasm for growing food as I have in the past few years. And um, well, hence what, Heritage Radio Network. <laughs> That's what yeah, we're all about, yeah, right? Exactly. It's all about the food and growing it, and, right? And sourcing it, and, and our roots, and how we do it, and you know, that's why the the South is. Is close to the, our heart. The north, <laughs> the north is just finally catching on to what you all knew all along, right? Right, exactly. And now it's chic, you know. Yeah. Um, if you look in our August issue, Steve Bender did an incredible story called Dixie Chickens, mm-hmm. and um, some of those photographs came from the Buckhead area of Atlanta, one of the most she-she areas of the South. Right. And um, they take a lot of pride in their chickens there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's, it's just great to see that coming around where even five years ago, if we said, we want to put chickens in Southern Living, they were still a little guarded about that. Is that sending the wrong message? We've worked so hard to move forward are we sending the wrong message? You know, mm. have, have we come past that? And right. absolutely, yes, we have. Right, right. Well, I love your story, actually, in this month's magazine about the sorghum. <laughs> oh, isn't that great? Yeah. <laughs> it's a beautiful story, too. Yeah, I grew up on sorghum, so. Oh, <laughs> My wonderful. dad's from Tennessee, wonderful. so. <laughs> um, well, in your latest article for Southern Living, Paradise Found, you found more farms 
Botanical Garden, which is a relatively new botanical garden located in South Carolina, uh, founded by Darla Moore. So the story of the land and the creation of that place is really fascinating. Can you tell us a little more? Yes. It, it originally did not start out as a botanical garden, but <clears throat> as this garden grew, um, it kind of became, this is a pretty spectacular space. What are we going to do with it? And, you know, how can it give back to the community? Darla Moore is one of our leading um, female business leaders in the country, and, um, you know, Lake City is her home. So she really could have gone anywhere to live or, you know, kind of call home, and she chose to come back here. And so as this garden grew, um, she really has a deep, deep, deep abiding love um, for the PD region of South Carolina, Mm -hmm. and she really wanted to kind of showcase and draw visitors in to see kind of some of these undiscovered hidden jewels that this area of South Carolina has. So, And how rich it is horticulturally. Yes, absolutely. The diversity that can grow there is just amazing. Mm-hmm. So she had a very, very talented um, group of folks that worked. Um, Jinx Farmer was her former director. Ethan Kaufman is um, her director now. And just all of the folks that came through there, what's so neat about this place is it has now turned into um, not just a beautiful place to visit, but it's like an outdoor test lab for what grows well in the South. And it is also training grounds for young people who want to go into the public botanical garden business. Oh, so it's uh, like long to yeah. hone their skills. Yeah, yeah it's like, like Longwood Gardens. Longwood Gardens is our exactly. yeah, mm-hmm. it's like our a, a version of that kind of. But I have to say, the photographs of that t- of that um, of that structure of that garden structure that is like inspired by, I guess, the tobacco. A tobacco the barn. A tobacco barn. Yeah. I could live there mm-hmm. in that. <laughs> there <laughs> is a neat, neat story behind that. Um, John Paul Hughley who has been in the news uh, a good bit, um, is founder of Building Art. And he actually has a college that teaches craftsmen how to do their trade skills. And on this one, he was commissioned to come to the property. The wood that the structure is built out of um, was old-growth wood that was uh, harvested nearby. It was actually planed. Um, and milled right there on the site. Everything is put together using traditional methods. Um, There is no electricity in it. It's strictly a retreat to kind of get together. And um, John Paul told me something great one time. He said, I want to create something where the only thing you could hear was yourself breathing. Mm. And um, it's a it's a magical space to be in. It really. I is. can only imagine. I mean, just on the page, I felt like it was it was magic. And being on the being on the edge of the pond there, it's just a, incredible. Right, and where it's positioned in the property, you come in, you wind around, so it's kind of at the. Uh, the midpoint of the far end of the property. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of sit there and reflect, think about what you've seen, and then you gather yourself and you continue on your journey through the garden. Um, But really just 
it, it truly is a magical space. And it's not huge. You can you know, tell by the chairs that are in there that um, it's a pretty intimate yeah. scale, and it is about the size of what a stick tobacco barn would have been. Mm. Well, I know I'm adding it to my list of places to visit um, <clears throat> well, on I, any travel that I do yeah. <laughs> down south. So tell us, um, tell, tell our, our listeners what some tips um, that you have um, you know, for in 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 design speak, um, yeah. that that we can get from the botanical garden. Well, you know, color is is a huge thing. Um, I think a lot of times, and being plant geeks, you know, you want one <laughs> of everything. And um, one of the easiest ways that I've found, and and one of the things that they do at more farms. Um, and also, come to think of it, uh, Marquette Clay did this in his tiny little garden, mm. um, is find a favorite hue and kind of use it as your unifying element. So mm. let's say you just can't resist a salvia and a this and a that, and, but stick to, say, purple or mm-hmm. go with yellows mm-hmm. you know, and unify with color and have that color thread carry you through the season. So that's going to help unify you. Um, another really, really interesting thing, especially, and this works in small gardens or really large gardens like um, more farms, is to sandwich plants that can be a little looser or maybe even wild and messy, um, like a perennial border per se, between evergreens. Mm-hmm. And that way it frames it and it keeps it looking neat. Um, if you don't have room to do this between the evergreens, you can even do it between some type of fence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Add a fence in um, as kind of a backdrop mm-hmm. to showcase this. One of my favorite tips is um, opposites, and that is to get contrast in the garden. Here's a great tip, and Jinx Farmer, who was the first director of um, More Farms uh, shared this with us. Um, if you photograph something in black and white, let's say you've got two or three plants that you're considering, and you're not sure if they work together well to have enough contrast, photograph them in black and white, and right. if they right. read that way, then you're going to have that amount of contrast to read. Here's something else to remember. We always are drawn to color, but... A garden that is filled with texture and contrast is going to stay with you for the long haul and offer something interesting, whether it's summer or winter. Well, right. we couldn't agree more with those tips. We're, uh, you're definitely preaching to the choir here. I'm glad that, that it's not just us <laughs> making, yeah. the, making, the, making the same, you know, those same kind of ideas. Because a lot of our clients, they just want color, 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 you know, right. all right. the time. And we're always talking structure, structure, structure scale. Structure. <laughs> Structure scale, yeah. <laughs> you know. So we want to ask you. Um, I, unfortunately, the, the half hour has gone really quickly, Rebecca. But we want to ask you one last question. So, as as we said earlier, um, in your work, you have so much opportunity to travel and view gardens, you know, the world over. Can you tell us about three gardens that you think our, our listeners should really visit that best exemplify, you know, the best of the Southern Garden today? Of course, more farms is definitely on there. And, and right, and if you do want to go there, you need to make a reservation yes. first by going to morefarmsbg.org. Mm-hmm. Um, the Dallas Arboretum does color better than anyone. And they pumpkins, have, right? 
incredible. <laughs> Jimmy Turner yeah. is amazing. And uh, we we put Jimmy on a pedestal. And if you want to know what grows in the heat, he's the man. Right. Um, the Atlanta Botanical Garden. Um, all right, for the fun factor, you know, carnivorous plants grow in South Carolina mm-hmm. naturally. Mm-hmm. And so the Atlanta Botanical Garden, if you're looking for something a little unusual, has an awesome carnivorous plant. Oh, yeah. that's great. Yeah. I've, um, been, I've been to that garden. That's beautiful. Yeah. And then, you know, if you really kind of want to see the original, um, Magnolia Plantation and Gardens. In Charleston. Yeah. Yeah. So, so many things came in to our garden gates through there. Right. Um, and that whole, you can go Drayton Hall, Magnolia, boom, 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 and just make a day of going to fabulous you know, historic um, gardens in that area. Fairchild Arboretum, um, for for folks who are more interested in tropicals, they're knockout. They're mm-hmm. just, they do a great job, too. So it really depends on what you're interested um, in. If you're up a more northern region, Missouri, we, we don't give them the Missouri Missouri Botanic Garden, Garden right. Mobot. Right. <laughs> and now I'm going to get a phone call. Why didn't you say my botanical garden? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they are all wonderful in their own right, but sure. these are really stellar. Yeah. Well, we're we're you know we're right here. Brooklyn Bot- Botanic Garden is right in our backyard, yeah. and, and you know we we love them. And um, just as far as botanical gardens go, they they need a lot more uh, acknowledgement and uh, visitorship. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think it's it's a great it's a great thing for a community to teach people about plants in their region. It is. Well, um, I, I just need to say one more thing, Rebecca. Yes. We'd love to have you back on to talk about some of the plants that we, as northern gardeners, are are getting up here that have been uh, made hardy. So mm-hmm. we're, we're getting into the crepe myrtles. We're getting into yeah. hardy gardenias. And camellias. And camellias. So we should maybe plan another talk about that. I would love it. That would be great. Where the South is invading the North. <laughs> <laughs> it will rise again. <laughs> there you go. So will the biscuits. <laughs> we hope. <laughs> well, thank you for being on the show, Rebecca. You've been listening to Heritage Radio Network and to We Dig Plants. Um, thank you to Roberta's Pizza at 261 Moore Street in Bushwick and to our sponsor. Our show has been produced by Jack Inslee and engineered by Joe G. Please join us on Facebook, Groundwork Inc. We Dig Plants. We'd love your feedback. And we're going to be posting a link um, to uh, Southern Living uh, there. And we'll see you in the garden. Thanks Thanks. for listening. Thanks for gardening. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. 
Thanks for listening.